Hello, cheese friends. Welcome to the Mobile Monger Podcast, where we go behind the scenes in the cheese world to chat with the people making, selling, or distributing your favorite specialty food products. I'm your host, Janae Muha, certified cheese professional, longtime cheesemonger, and producer advocate. How we connect in the cheese world has changed drastically over the last 10 years. Social media has allowed us to experience shops, people, and cheese from around the globe. Some of us tend to stay in the industry circles, and some are out here trying to preach to the masses the good word of curd. Erica Kubik is a true cheese preacher. With her socials, Cheese Sex Death, she's connected with cheese lovers by using gorgeous pictures of cheese porn and teaching them everything they didn't know they wanted to know about cheese. I talk with Erica about the truths behind the internet facade and what's happening backstage. My name is Erica Kubik. I'm the founder of Cheese Sex Death. Basically, I call myself a cheese preacher, which is just a fancy word for a cheese educator. I just made it a lot more branded. Um, so I like to th- talk about how I got started in cheese as more of a come to Jesus moment. And there's a couple different steps in that. First of all, I was a vegetarian for a long time when I was in my teens. And obviously, cheese was a big part of my diet. And I remember the first cheese that gave me that come to Jesus moment was Sarvecchio from Sartori. Um, there was a farmer's market that started in the village where I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. And my mom started going in the farmer's market. And one and the thing that she would always bring home was this wedge of Sarvecchio Parmesan. And it was completely different from any cheese that I had grown up with. My parents love food. My dad loves wine. Like we're, they definitely consider themselves gourmands. I definitely would consider them that everything I know about cooking is from my mom and my dad. Um, but like we never had that artisan like artisanal cheese around the house this was the first time we did and it was definitely a different cheese back then than it was when than it is now but i just remember she would bring home like two pound blocks of it and i would just like barely touch it and a chunk would just crumble into my hand and i couldn't believe that a cheese could like look like a crystal and could have that kind of texture like i had had parmesan like on pasta and probably not even parmesan it was probably just like parmesan like pre-graded, no shade, but it was totally different from what I was eating. And when I ate it, it just felt like pineapple and like toasted nuts and like cottage cheese. There's just so much flavor happening and it felt like an explosion. And it was such an aha moment where I was like, wow, I did not know that cheese could taste like this. This is incredible. And I just became completely addicted to this cheese. My dad and I would go through like a two pound block in just a couple of days. It was almost a disturbing amount. I mean, by today's standards, the amount of cheese I eat on a daily basis, it was like normal, but I wasn't used to eating it like that. It was so spectacular. So flash forward to after school, I went to college at Loyola University in Chicago. I studied film production and English literature and had no job prospects because like, what do you do with that? I wanted to be like a TV writer. I had no idea what the hell was happening with my life. Um, So I basically just like fell ass backwards into this internship with Plate Magazine. It's a chef's industry magazine. I literally got that job because I was working the front desk at a waxing salon and the assistant editor at the magazine would like come in and I found out that she worked for this magazine and basically begged her for an internship. So I was like, I 
I need to work in food somehow. I love eating. And I just know that like there is a place for me in that world. So I got hired because I had my film degree and I could edit their chef's interview. So luckily <laughs> my education came into play a little bit and they assigned me this little chart to fill out for their Spanish issue. And it was all about Spanish cheeses. And it was, wasn't an article. It wasn't anything like that. It was literally just a chart that was like the type of cheese, like what is it called and like uses for so that chefs would know like how to utilize these Spanish cheeses. And the only rule behind it was they're like, you could talk about any cheese you want. It just can't be Manchego because everybody knows Manchego. And I was like, I have no idea what that what you just said, but OK, like I'll avoid Manchego, whatever that is. So I literally Googled Spanish cheese found this like little it was probably not even around anymore but this website called spanishcheese.org or something and completely fell down the rabbit hole every single type of cheese i learned about had such an incredible story um i remember this one that was literally wrapped in sheepskin and i obviously that was way outside of my understanding of how cheese was made and it completely blew my mind and i just i just fell down the rabbit hole of cheese in general i became so obsessed i googled how do i devote my life to cheese I literally felt like there was like a light shining down on me it was like this is it this is where you're going this is your life so i googled how to once again using google um how to devote my life to cheese and found madame fromage her old blog her like original like dot blog spot very classic 2010s culture um and it said and her blog post basically said like become a cheesemonger get a bunch of cheese books so i ordered mastering cheese and my mom actually had a copy of that cheese of the the art of the cheese plate another max mccallman and david book and i started applying to a pastoral in chicago the renowned cheese shop unfortunately now closed I had to apply like three times before they gave me a stage. I remember I staged during Lollapalooza weekend, which was insane. Oh I mean, like it's a parade of drunk teenagers coming in just like, can I try some cheese? And it was just like rewrapping roviola in the back. Like, what is this? But it was so much fun. And I just like knew this is, this was, and everybody there was so strange and cool and passionate. And I just knew I had found my people. I knew I had found my calling. And that's pretty much how it all started, you know, like I was a cheesemonger there for about a year and, you know, it's just struggling making ends meet because, you know, $10 an hour, that's difficult. So I ended up working at a Michelin star restaurant here in Chicago called Longman and Eagle and became their food runner. And I loved, I loved that job. Obviously restaurant life is very difficult, especially for such a sensitive gal like myself. So um, I only lasted there for about four months, but I was constantly talking about cheese. I was constantly make, like making comments about their cheese program, which needed a lot of help. You know, they had a Cabralis on the menu that just smelled like ass. And I'm like, Cabralis is an intense cheese. It's like one of the strongest, but at the same time, like this is a sick cheese. Like you, you need to put her to bed. You need to put her in the garbage. Like this is not, you can't be feeding this to people and having them think that this is how the cheese is supposed to taste. And yeah, I mean, that definitely pushed me towards like, I have a chance to like educate people and with, you know, all my wits, all my creativity, I can definitely do this in a fun way. And I actually had written a slew of failed blogs. I did one about like reviewing movies. I did one about like learning how to cook and I did one about like dining. I, they were all awful they were terrible blogs but it did teach me how to run a blog and how to have a social media presence so i quit longman and eagle and found myself 
unemployed because I thought I had a job when I quit and then that didn't pan out. Classic. And I basically had already had this like trip planned to go visit my best friend who was in Los Angeles and she was also unemployed. So we were brainstorming what our lives were going to turn into and I decided I needed to do a cheese vlog and that's kind of how to bring together all of the weird things I had done so far in my life. And, you know, we were just brainstorming a name for it and my partner ended up coming in to vacation with us as well and he was like, you know, I really think we were on this like beautiful long walk just like smoking a joint and he was like i really feel like your blog obviously has to be about cheese and you always look like an orgasm like you're having an orgasm when you eat and you're obsessed with like goth shit. so you should call this cheese death sex and i was like eureka this is amazing you you're you totally got me i love this and i called my mom the next day and i was like mom i'm gonna start this cheese blog this is what this is where my life is going like we figured it out it's gonna be called cheese death sex and she was like oh honey erica i just you got to call it cheese sex death. It has a much better ring to it. So that's where it was born. I actually found out years later um, after I reread Michael Pollan's book Cooked that there was another blog called Cheese, Sex, Death, and Madness years before, like the early, early days of the internet. And so that must have also imprinted itself into my brain when I first read that book. But yeah, continuing the tradition. So that's my come to Jesus story. Well, thanks, mom, for the heads up on the making it sound good, right? I know, very supportive. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, speaking of your online presence, it's actually one of my topics I wanted to talk about. Um, I would consider you kind of one of the first real like cheese influencers on like outside of blogs, but like Instagram style. Mm-hmm. Um what would you say like were the biggest contributors to like your online growth? Like how did you make that happen? Um, I would say like the number one is definitely failing. I did a lot of, I, I was learning about social media in tandem with building this Instagram because I ended up working after Longman and Eagle. I pretty much right when I decided to start this job, I got, or start this blog, I got hired with Let Us Entertain You, which is a big restaurant group here in Chicago about, to be a social media manager from one of their branches and like i'm not gonna say i lied my way into that job but i definitely acted like my blogs were much more successful than they were (laughs) so they were like oh great we've got this like young millennial who's gonna figure out how to improve our social media strategy and i ended up working under a couple people there that helped me a lot just like learn the ropes and learn like how how to have a social media presence and i know i definitely you know i didn't make any like crazy mistakes there, but there was a lot of posts that didn't do well. And I was able to learn while, you know, running 10 different Instagram pages for restaurants and like Twitter and Facebook as well for them. It was a lot, but I got to learn a lot that way. It was definitely trial by fire. And, you know, also seeing like what was working and what wasn't working on my brand on my own blog. Yeah. I mean, I would say figuring out like what my authentic brand voice, like after just like failing a bunch, figuring out what that was, which really helped, you know, failing really did help to figure out like what is, like what are people responding to, but more like what is, what am I responding to? What am I enjoying writing about? And one of the first things that definitely was hitting was I would just post like pictures of cheese porn every Sunday. I would do like three or four of them and I would always have like a very sacrilegious caption and I called it cheese church. So I hashtagged cheese church, like said some shit about Jesus and like, you know, re-blessed. I don't know. It was just like a bunch of silly stuff, but I was just basically reposting pictures from the internet and from Instagram and, you know, giving my own caption, giving credit, of course, but 
there was just something in there. I was like, this is so fun. It's so playful. It's so silly. And people were really responding to it. And that's when my growth started really happening. And then I remember, I think it was like for a thousand followers, I took a piece of Bailey Hazen blue. It was a perfect piece, just like perfect pockets of blue. The rind was gorgeous on it. Um, and I just like stuck it in my cleavage and took a selfie <laughs> and posted. I was like, thanks for a thousand followers. And it definitely did very well. Obviously, you know, was it the tits? Was it the cheese? Was it the caption? We don't know. I think it was a mix of all of it, but <laughs> that definitely con contributed to getting that aesthetic down. And then I also figured out that like the black background for me, the way that the cheese stood out and the way that it differentiated myself from like the other cheese Instagrams at the time. I mean, other people would like use granite, whatever, but I definitely capitalized on that Gothic aesthetic. And I think once I figured out how to actually show like the cheese, the sex and the death, it really grew. But honestly, I mean, it was a really slow growth at first. I don't think it like felt like it on the outside, but for me who was working in social media and seeing how like some other pages were just exploding, like I didn't get that explosion until actually quite recently. So actually, well, I would say the first one was when Courtney Johnson actually gave me that question. Like, how do you, I like did like a little FAQ and she asked me like, how do you like to eat Parmigiano? And I did a little like video of me grating cheese directly into my mouth. And that went viral and like LAD Bible and a couple other places picked it up and I became a meme. And then immediately after that capitalized on that growth by releasing the cheese slut shirt, it just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah. But it definitely sounds like finding your voice was like the biggest moment of that, of like really being able to fine tune it because Instagram can be so wonky with like changing of algorithms and you never know what they're up to. So I think that that's a great piece of advice to just be able to like find your voice and find your, your niche, if you will. So Absolutely. I love that. You gotta differentiate yourself because there's so much content out there and there's so many people doing amazing cheese content now too, which is awesome but you also you want to be able to stand out you want to make it your own and you can't just respond to like what people are like liking or engaging with or commenting on you have to do it you have to like focus on what you're passionate about and just what your authentic voice is like what do you sound like when you're with other cheese people and you talk about cheese or when you're behind the counter and you're telling a customer about like the special cheese that you're so excited about like that's the voice that's the passion that you really need to harness and try to find a way to filter it into whatever social media you're using. Yeah. Um, and on to that next thing, you recently wrote a book. It's very exciting uh, and a beautiful book. Thank you. Um, how did that come about? And can you tell me a little bit about that process of writing? Absolutely. It was so much fun. It's my little pandemic baby. Um, I got really lucky because I... After working at Let Us Entertain You, I worked like a couple other jobs and then I ended up working at Culture Magazine where I met the design team, Red Herring there. They're so incredibly talented. And I met Jen Quinn, who was on the design team. She was designing a lot of the magazines. So I was just like, I had meetings with her. I didn't, we didn't really get to touch base a lot because I was living in Chicago and obviously they were Boston based and then Red Herrings was in Brooklyn. Um, but we did connect and like, we definitely like stayed in touch and a, a late 20, I would say like in the middle of 2019, Jen DM'd me and was just like, hey, I'm starting this literary agency with like a couple other people in publishing. And I really think you need to write a book. So like, let's talk. 
it was like the best possible scenario because I always wanted to write a book, but I was like, A, there's really no money in it. Like you don't, you know, you'll make some money, but not a lot unless you have like a New York Times bestseller. So I was like reluctant. It also just seemed like so much work. And I was like, what is the benefit from doing this? Like you're not really making any money. Like who knows if it's going to even sell, especially when I like my weird ass branding, like who knows? This is such a risk. And I also was like, how is this book going to look? Like, I think the aesthetic is so important to my brand and like my brand positioning and like how I teach people. Um, but I felt like I was in really good hands with her because I'd already seen her work and I knew like she was going to be the one that designed it. So I, I basically call her my book Sadie now um, because she is the father of my child. Um, yeah, so basically they helped, they held my hands through the entire process. They helped me write the proposal. They helped me like create sample pages and they found the publisher Abrams that we ended up working with. We found the publisher in April of 2020. So a month into the pandemic, all of my events, you know, I was completely events paced right before the pandemic. I was doing a ton of in-home classes. I was doing like three events a week for a while. And I was getting so burnt out because planning, producing and working events is a pain in the ass. Like it's so much work and so exhausting. So I was really looking for like something else where I could, you know, I could just express myself creatively. My social was doing really well during the pandemic because I just, you know, I was able to just bounce off of what everybody else was feeling, which is sheer panic. Luckily I have anxiety, so I know what it feels like to be anxious. <laughs> I was, you know, working that muscle. Um, and then, yeah, I, I basically, I knew what I, I wanted to do a Bible because I was already working with the cheese church thing. Like that was the name of like the events I was doing. And I was like, we, we need, a, I already had like little like tasting Bibles I was handing out so people could like take notes during their cheese church classes. And it just kind of came together naturally. Like I bounced around with a couple different ideas, but I knew what the information I wanted to, like I wanted to present in there. And it grew a lot at first when I was writing it, it was a much smaller book. And then it turned into like the 300 page beast that it is now. <laughs> an old Testament and a new Testament and like recipes and all like a whole book of pairing, which was so much fun to do. It was such a wonderful way to spend the pandemic. And I was also like putting together all these like cheese boxes that I was like delivering to people and like driving around the city and like delivering these boxes. And, you know, like as I was testing those pairings and like putting them in these boxes, it really was like working in tandem with the book writing. And I just got so lucky to work with Indelible, which is the agency that I worked with. Um, cause it just really helped me through the whole process. They like explain like, what is it like to work in publishing? Like how it takes forever to get any feedback or do anything. So I just was really prepared and very pampered during the process. And I mean, I wish that everybody could have that experience as I know that if you ever try to like self publish, I cannot imagine what that's like and how difficult that is to do. You're the artwork in the book is also so specific and so wonderful. What did it take to find someone who could really paint the picture you had in your head? Yeah, well, so Jen found the illustrator um, and she originally was looking for people who did stained glass illustration, like actually made stained glass and like drew stained, stained glass imagery. And those like it takes forever it really would just like the timeline was not going to work because it takes so long for people like that. That's what they do to actually like create, you know, and when you have to like work with feedback and like changes, it just, that was never going to actually happen, but it was a lovely pipe dream. And it, it 
put us on the path to find Martin, who was a historical illustrator and like had some of that kind of experience and was able to take that aesthetic. And we we had the ideas for it and basically bounced around like which parts of the book we wanted a stained glass illustration for. So we gave him a lot of direction. We worked the first one we did took so long. So I just I was so specific about what I wanted and I wanted it to like still look dark and goth without being too like, I don't know, like bright and colorful and really Christian. You know what I mean? Like this, it's not a Christian book. So we needed to like make sure that was clear. It was more of like a goth take on like a Catholic aesthetic. So yeah, I mean, I definitely, I hope Martin doesn't hate me with the amount of changes I had him do, but he did such an incredible job. It's so beautiful. I'm so, I'm so delighted with how it turned out. It really, it's, really amazing when you flip through it you're just like holy shit this like it really does scream your aesthetic like from front to back completely thank you yeah i'm so so grateful it turned out that way um so you kind of mentioned this a little bit but like you before the pandemic you were very much an events-based um your job was mostly events-based, but as a freelancer, how are you managing the hustle now? What does that look like for you? Like, how are you making your money now, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I came to accept, (laughs) here's a, here's an answer to the question. I came to accept that I'm not in this for money and you know, none of us in cheese are really making a whole lot of money. We're all very aware of that. We're all pretty open about that, which I think is really helpful and like refreshing because I think in a lot of other industries, people are just like acting like they're doing great or or they really are hustling and making a ton of money. And that's their priority, which is totally fine. I'm like personally not a huge fan of capitalism, but that's the way the world works. And it's like, I, you know, you got to accept it to some extent or fight against it, which some of us are. Um, but I did kind of, I mean, back before the pandemic, I was trying to really make ends meet, you know, I was supporting myself. My partner was uh, clerking at the time. He had just gotten out of law school and I was like the sole provider, the main provider, you know, he had a clerk salary, but that's not too high. So I was like, I, I was hustling for sure. I mean, the events, it was a lot of events, a lot of sponsored content. Um, yeah, just a lot of that type of thing and merchandise, of course, merchandising was important. And I basically just had to make the decision, like, am I going to run a catering business and not be able to do the content and the creativity and like have the presence that I want? Or am I going to accept that I can't, I'm not going to make a lot of money and do things in a way that nurtures my creativity and my creative spirit. And luckily um, I'm in a position where my partner is now able to provide for both of us, the three of us, including the cat. And Yeah, I basically just, I mean, not everyone's able to do that. And I think it's like, it's kind of an uncomfortable question to answer. It's like, yeah, I'm basically a housewife with a hobby, which I've come to accept and make fun of myself for. (laughs) And I'm fine with it, but it allows me to spend so much time in my creative spirit and allows me to say no. And I've been saying no to sponsored content now because it does diminish what I'm able to provide for people. Not that like what I'm doing is like a true service, but it also is in a sense, like I'm here to educate people. I'm here to get people excited and I'm here to support our industry. And that's what I'm passionate about. And that's what I want to do. Like, I want to take care of our community. I want to be somebody who can connect. I always like, my dream is to be this bridge between this incredible cheese community that we have and this, 
whole worlds of consumers who want to be able to support us and they want to understand like why are they giving why are they spending all this money on a piece of cheese like why is it worth it you know of course it tastes good but they want the story they want to be educated about it so i don't know if that really answers the question like no i'm not making money i'm making some like cheese sex stuff pays for herself essentially like i make a little bit of money on the side to pay for to pay myself but i don't really pay myself <laughs> yeah i mean you came and did a an event here and got to stay with me and it was wonderful we had such a great time but that's something that we both uh connect on because my husband does pay most of our our lifestyle and my house so it's a it is kind of an uncomfortable question but i think it's also really important to talk about because people look at my life and they think like oh well you're doing all this fun stuff and it's really great how are you afford able to afford that and it's also not easy. Like I've just hustled for the last three or four months of doing demos every weekend to be able to go take this month long trip to Europe and, you know, going to Upland soon, but that's also going to be a paid internship. So it's, I feel very fortunate that I'm in this position of, I don't have to sacrifice my life for a job that I'm really unhappy in because I've been there, done that. And I sacrificed a lot in that time period. So I'm so grateful for it. And um, I don't know, it is, it's a hard topic to talk about because, you know, people see us on the internet and they think, oh, these people are just like raking in the dough or whatever. And it's just not the case. Yeah. I know. I mean, that's the issue with social media and it's something I'm very conscious about, but not still trying to figure out like how to navigate that. Cause I think a lot of people like look at my social media presence and be like, wow, you're doing so many things. You're having so much fun. How, and like, you must be like making money too. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've ever like come out on social media and be like, Hey guys, I don't make any money. Please be very aware of that, which is something like I, you know, I'm definitely open about in person. It's not something I'm hiding at it by any means, but I think it's also very important to be very open about that and to be very clear that also I get so creatively burnt out. I mean, after writing that book, I felt so depleted. I felt, I mean, I was falling into a, I literally called my therapist, called it postpartum depression after I finished that book because I felt so, felt sick. Like my body didn't feel good. Nothing felt good. I felt like I couldn't create. I felt like I had absolutely nothing left to give. And it was so depressing and disheartening to be like, okay, well now I'm like, I'm not making money. It's going to be a long time until my book is even out and making money. I'm not going to really get the validation. Like, unfortunately, due to my birth chart, I'm a very validation focused person. <laughs> Sorry, my moon's in Leo. What are you supposed to do? And yeah, I mean, it was just like, it was really difficult to like look at everybody else. And then I fell under the same the compare and despair spell and was like, wow, everyone's doing so well on social media. Look at these other cheese influencers. They're having such a good time. They're making money. They're so successful. Some of them are on TV. Are you kidding me? And I just, I was like, really, it really broke me down. It definitely broke, broke my soul for a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I basically got over that by figuring out what I wanted to do, what I wanted to create and how to just like, refill my creative cup and also just like shift focus like to try to break the spell of of uh, capitalism and determining my worth through how much money I was making and instead just focusing on like how happy I was with what I was creating and that felt a lot easier once my book came out I was able to like go on tour and to visit all these places and to meet all the people that really loved my book and are really appreciated that I did do all that work it definitely made it feel a lot more worth it
Yeah. Having that direct connection with people can really refill when, because it was really difficult during the pandemic when we weren't really, I mean, not that we're not still in the pandemic. That's another topic for another day. Um, (laughs) But when we were mostly locked down and we would see these things, like I just saw all these people doing all these amazing things and just felt like I'm not doing anything. (laughs) I'm just sitting here in my house wallowing in despair because I'm an extrovert and I can't handle this. Um, But, (laughs) but you know, it, that's just the unfortunate piece of social media too. Like we're only putting out the highlight reels and not really talking about the, like the more difficult aspects of the harms of social media in general too. Like as much as it's fantastic, there are definitely some drawbacks to it. So I just think it's important to bring that up and talk about it, especially with someone who does live a lot of their life online. Yeah, absolutely. And I think boundaries are very, very important. That's still something that I'm learning, but I'm actively setting them and figuring out like, I can't just scroll social media anymore because I get locked in in ways that are really unhealthy for me and that can cause a lot of like triggers. So just figuring out like when you are logging on to do it with intent, to set time limits, that screen time limits on your phone are incredible. Definitely recommend setting that up for everyone, whether or not you're on social media, because you can just drain your entire day away. And then you start judging yourself. You're like, wait, I had like all this shit. I was, especially if you're a freelancer, especially if you're managing yourself. You literally do need to be your own daddy and like set rules, set boundaries, set a fucking bedtime. <laughs> for real. Uh, that's definitely been a hard, a hard thing for me. That's why with demos being back, it's nice because that gives me an outside thing to like yeah, structure thing to go do that. I have to prepare for that. Like, you know, I have to make sure I have all the things in line for it and whatnot. Uh, so that is very nice. Not having to just scroll all the time. <laughs> um but what's next for cheese sex death what's on the plate what do you what are you working on well i'm finishing up this tour um i think it went on a little bit too long because i was like wait now i'm really burnt out on touring like how did i was like i'm not gonna get burnt out with my next project and then it definitely happened with going to so many different cities and teaching so many classes and producing them as well you know obviously i've had amazing collaborators who have made it incredible but I mean, planning events, I don't know how people do that for their whole life. Like that's so much stress and it's just, it, you know, it, it definitely burns me out. So finishing up the tour, which I'm excited about, and I'm excited to just like go out with the bang. I'm finishing in Houston and Nashville and then I'll have like a couple of Chicago events. Um, and yeah, I'm working on my next book. I'm going to do, I really fell in love with the book writing process despite the burnout. And I also know that like if I do things in a little bit. I learned a lot about my my own creative process and how to manage myself. And I'm really, really excited about the next book. I honestly just want to be like Ina Garten and just like release a book every few years and just like have that be the rest of my life. So yeah, Ina Garten of Chicago. That's the dream. <laughs> Ina Garten of Chicago cheese world. Yeah. We love that for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So I have a few questions that I ask everybody at the end of this. Uh, what is your current cheese crush? Oh, very good one. I mean, I'm definitely a very seasonal girl, like, and it's 105 degrees outside in Chicago right now. So I like, I can't think about the cheeses that I normally would answer this question with because 
I don't want to eat that right now. I'm fucking hot, dude. So I got to say, I got to go with like Miss Popular, best in show, um, Meredith Dairy. That marinated sheep and goat's milk, it's, they call it Aussie magic. It's so unbelievably good. The way it just like the oil drips off of those cubes and how soft they are. It is just unbelievable. Such a slurpy little gem. I love it with just like fresh crunchy breads and like fucking tomatoes. And I got like my herb gardens looking pretty good if she survives the heat, heat wave. <laughs> I'm going to get that basil. I'm going to put it all up on some tomatoes and that marinated cheese. I'm just, I'm very excited about it. It's probably going to be my lunch. That sounds perfect. I actually have some in my refrigerator because uh, Town & Country was having a sale on it where it was like $7 a jar. That's absolutely insane. I would have bought a case. I bought like four. So I still have some in there that I just need to go chomp on. Go get some delicious bread. Love. Uh, what's your favorite pairing? Mm. You know, I'm not a huge drinker, but I really do love champagne bougie ass bitch right here but i just like sparkling wine makes you feel so fancy and special so i would definitely say like a just perfectly ripened bloomy rind personally i'm just such a sucker for an ash ripened chev i'm gonna go with um black goat from prairie fruits farm which is one of my very favorites it gets very gooey it's like a puck but it's like a little bit thinner of a disc so it it ripens all the way through so like that with a baguette and sparkling rosé is just that's perfect probably some like olives on the side and a little bit of honey like a really perfect i mean just like honey in general i, I feel like honey is my favorite pairing that sounds like so basic because like i know i do like a lot of like crazy shit online which i also love doing like crazy pairings absolutely my jam i'm obsessed with it but favorite pairing like that's that's a tall order. I feel like, like honey, man, honey's so good. And it just feels the most spiritual to me. Like the fact that these bees are just pollinating flowers and especially single source honey, when it's like a specific plant that the bee is pollinating and then they create this liquid gold out of it. And then the fact that like there's an animal, a mammal who's grazing on, also grazing on flora. Maybe the flora is even nearby the hive if you're like getting everything from the same area. And then they're making the milk and then people are turning that into cheese and this human intervention with this like very like natural fauna interaction with flora that's like that's literally the basis of my actual spirituality like, i know i like talk about cheese church jesus whatever and it's like so cute so branded i'm nailing the brand but i do live that like i can i'm a pagan i consider myself a witch i just love worshiping nature and that for me is just the perfect manifestation just honey and cheese you put those together when you eat it that's that's heaven that's heaven on earth it makes me it's very ethereal and like i just want to go run through the fields with little fairies and yeah <laughs> that's what that's conjuring for me so <laughs> uh, actually i need to send you um, I met someone who makes a black garlic honey here in Washington, and it is one of my favorite new pairings on everything. Like I took it to a food show and tried it on everything, and it was so delicious, delicious. on everything I had it on. 
everything. Just like infused. They're just like putting the cloves in the honey. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like kind of chunky, but it's got that umami and um, I'll put it in the show notes on the podcast so everybody can go and find it. But uh, also I should just have Leland send you some because I think that it would be you would you would die over it. Like I've been putting it on everything, (laughs) like just going crazy with it. There's nothing like sweet and savory. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and then what is your best cheese memory? Like a time or a place with that just really hits home. Like your your favorite spot that you go to when you're like, I need a little bit of solace. What is the cheese memory in my brain? <sighs> That's tough, man. I mean, there's a couple places that I go to, but I think like the thing that makes me most excited that I do go back to, maybe not for like solace, but for just like a taste of place to borrow that from Jasper Hill. I got to go on the Comte trip last year, which was so cool. (laughs) It was crazy. Um, And we went to this one farm where we literally just had them milk the tea right into our hand and we drank the raw milk right from our hand. And it was crazy. I mean, yeah, like the flavor is really cool. It's like incredible how like sugar sweet the milk is when it comes like straight out of the udder but it was just such a special moment to be there to see like where this milk is coming from and to see it like go from pasture to cheese is it's just an incredible experience and i just like wish that everybody who's in our industry could just do that we're no not, it doesn't have to be at the Jura. it could be anywhere but to just see that whole transformation to see that whole process because it just completely solidified just like how magical this is and how special it is and how important it is. And I got to um, interview Matteo Keller while I was writing the book just to like get, you know, I was like, I, I need someone to just answer all my weird ass questions. And like, he definitely came through on that assignment, but he kept using the word primordial and how like ancient these techniques are and how like for him making cheese, like brings him back to like his, the, our like deepest ancestors who first did this. And that's just how I felt when I was like getting the milk right in my cup. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds perfect. I, with this internship that I'm doing at Uplands, that's the whole point of why I want to go. Cause people keep being like, but it's a cheese making internship. Do you really want to be a cheese maker? No, I don't. But I want to see from the pasture to the retail like how does that happen because that's such there's so many steps involved in that that people don't even realize and even someone who's worked in cheese for as long as I have I still don't understand the the full gravity of all of that so just being able to get to witness that in any way that we can even if it's in bits and pieces is such a huge piece of our learning and our more passion (laughs) I mean there's nothing like it I mean, a lot of us do get really burnt out in this industry. Like you don't have to write a book to feel burnt out, just like working every day and answering the same questions every day. Like we all suffer from that. And I think the only real antidote, especially in this capitalist society, which does not prioritize rest and does not prioritize human needs is to keep your passion alive. So, I mean, I really love all of like Ace Foundation and DZTA, DZT. 
eat. Sorry, changed. Yeah, I know they changed. I'm not good at remembering shit. Um, and like Ann Sachs will be, and just like everybody, the Legacy Fund, everything that gives people that opportunity. I think they're just so special. And like we really got to support the hell out of them. Absolutely. Uh, where can people find you? Of course. Well, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I'm at Cheese Sex Death. On TikTok, you have to change the E in sex to a three because they're not a huge fan of my brand. So other than that, though, CheeseSexDeath.com. Um, and yeah, I'm always here to like chat with people and to like answer questions or I don't know. I'm here to support my people, my cheese people. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me. And I'm really excited for the next book. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all of your support and everything you do for this industry. You're such a special person. Thank you, Erica. Erica has found the ability to share her viewpoint authentically and engagingly. Her passion for this industry is evident, and we can consider ourselves lucky that she's out here preaching the love of Kurt. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha. Musical credits go to my husband, Ben Muha. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on Instagram or Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite listening platform so more people can find this podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep spreading the word of good courage.